Good evening. Today our scripture is from Luke 1, 26 through 33. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. All right. Yeah. Good morning. Uh, good morning. Good afternoon. Evening. Good evening. I don't know. I woke up today and halfway through the day I had no idea what day it was because I don't normally hang out at home on a Sunday. <laughs> okay. Good to see you all. Um, I'll open us up in a word of prayer and we're going to talk about this as you do. All right. Let's pray. Shall we? Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for everyone that you've gathered here. I pray that you would be present with us. Um, there are some here who are uh, celebrating joyous holiday this year. There are, are some who are struggling with um, maybe this being uh, a unique holiday for them. Maybe they've lost somebody or they're spending it differently and it's difficult. There are some who are uh, in the depths of, of despair this holiday season. And I, uh, I ask first and foremost that you would make yourself known that you are present with us, that we, you, are, you are in it with us. Um, let us rejoice with those who are rejoicing. Let us be uh, mournful with those who are mourning. Let us find hope with those who are looking for a new way. Um, let us be that for each other. May this always be a community um, and not a production. May this always be um, a group of people who see each other, who hear each other, and who are crawling towards you together. Thank you, Father. In your name, amen. Okay, so I'll keep it quick. Don't worry, I know we got a lot of kids, but there's coloring books and candy canes and stuff like that. And if they get noisy, it doesn't matter. It's all good. Okay, so normally when we talk about Christmas, it starts with the nativity. Um, it starts with the birth of Jesus, and we talk about that and what happened from the birth onwards and the things that came after that. Um, but that is not actually where the Christmas story actually starts um, in modern sort of Western evangelicalism, we tend to celebrate just Christmas Day, but throughout church history, there's been a Christmas season, uh, something called Advent, and it doesn't start here. Technically, this is the end of Christmas, okay? This is what we are looking forward to. Um, Advent starts with something earlier, much earlier, the Annunciation, because once Mary found out she was pregnant, there was nine months of waiting, uh, and wondering and trying to figure out and make sense of what exactly she was experiencing, how in the world this is all going to work, uh, what the message means for her, uh, for her people, for her family, for uh, the man she's betrothed to, um, all of it. Uh, and so there is, in a sense, this, um, this anticipation, right, that, that, that she's going through because... Um, She's in a season of, of sort of a lot of things being unknown. Now, one of the main texts of Advent, if you follow Advent, if you grew up following Advent, uh, there's these passages from Isaiah that you read and that you follow. One of them is Isaiah 35. Um, and 
It's perfect for Advent because it has this idea of waiting and expectation and anticipation. Um, when Isaiah penned this letter, um, this writing, this collection of prophecies and poetry and allegory, there is, uh, the, the people of Israel were going through something very specific. They, uh, their leadership was a mess. Um, they were corrupt. Their priestly leadership in the church, their religious leadership was absolutely corrupt. Um, the people were following these corrupt leaders, and at the same time, they were surrounded on every side by a bloodthirsty enemy who wanted nothing more than to just kill them and destroy them. So um, there's a lot of despair, and there's a lot of anticipation because they don't know what is coming. So um, Isaiah talks about all of the situation that they find themselves in, and then he gives this message of hope. And he starts off by, by basically talking about how a time is coming when God will give a gift and things will change. And when he describes it, he starts off with uh, the desert and the parched land will be glad, the wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. So he starts talking about sort of, um, it won't be good just for you, it'll be good for all of creation uh, when God sends his king, when God does this thing that he's gonna do. Um, And then we go down to verse three, strengthen the feeble hands, steady the, the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful tears, be strong. Do not fear, your God will come. So there's this hope. There's this message of like something is coming. Just hang on. Just um, hold on to this. Be strong as long as you can. And then we go over here like verse 5. It says, then the eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf will will be unstopped. Uh, Then the lame, then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness, streams in the desert. All kinds of allegory of like how amazing it will be when this thing finally happens, hope all is not lost. There is a way forward. God is going to give something. He's going to bring about some type of gift. And he's calling them to sort of wait, have anticipation. Okay, that's why this is a, an Advent um, message. That's why this is sort of one of the texts of Advent. Because it has everything to do with sort of one of the main traditions of, of Christmas um, for the last, you know, 1,500 years or so has been sort of this, the, the idea of a gift, that we give each other gifts because God gives a gift. Um, and the Old Testament is always looking forward to this gift. And gifts are interesting because you know you're going to get one. Someone tells you, I, I got you something. And, uh, and when they tell you, you don't actually get to open it yet and know what it is. You have to hang out for a while. And in that, in that time of hanging out, you come up with all kinds of assumptions about what you're going to get. I remember once when I was a teenager, my dad told me, I got you a great gift. You're going to love it. And by the time Christmas rolled around, like a month later, I was convinced that I was getting a four-wheeler. But it was really like a, like a screwdriver set, okay? And I don't know how I got there in my brain that I was going to get a four-wheeler. Uh, I just, the stories I kept telling myself were getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And I was like, oh, yeah, yes, all right, where's my four-wheeler? I was like, here you go. I'm like, it's a, what are the keys, huh? I open it up, it's screwdrivers. Um, and so, like, you have these ideas, you build up this anticipation in your brain of what you're going to get. And it's sort of like, I was expecting just something different. Just, I was absolutely expecting something else, and I don't know why, but it, it was probably because it's what I wanted the world to look like. I wanted the world to look like me with a four-wheeler. That's what I wanted the world to look like. Okay, so... This is all through the Bible. This happens. There's a, a guy named John the Baptist. If you've read the Bible, you may have heard of him. He's Jesus' cousin. Um, John the Baptist was sent. He's like the first prophet in like 500 years. He's sent to prepare the way of the Lord, he, he says. Um, and John 
uh, finds himself, at the beginning of Luke chapter 7, finds himself in a really bad place, bad situation. He's spoken out about the, um, the immorality of, of the king. Um, he, is, he has been very vocal about the terrible ways that the, that the king has been living in his immorality and all the things he's been involved in. And not just him, but the religious leadership have turned on him as well because he has harsh words for them. And he finds himself in prison under King Herod. And it ends up, it's not going to go well. I don't want to, it's a family show. I don't want to explain exactly what happens. In some sense, he loses his head. And it, and it goes <laughs> bad. It doesn't go well. But... Um, while he's awaiting this event, he's confused because he thought he was here to prepare the way of the Lord. And, and that means certain things in his mind. He had, he had grown up thinking that like when God comes, when the, when, the, when the Savior comes, the Messiah comes, our Davidic King comes, um, it's going to look a certain way. Like we're going to gather up swords and we're going to start killing some Romans and we're going to start a revolt. And we're going to establish our nation with just us and our people and everyone else is going to be thrown out and kicked out and it's going to be us again. And, and so he sort of, he sends a, a message to Jesus and he's sort of like, when are we going to start killing Romans? Like, and so the message goes like this. Says, um, the, these servants show up of John the Baptist. They're his messengers and it says, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? In other words, like, what are you doing? Why aren't you doing the things that... W- we're all expecting you to do. And so Jesus writes back to him and he quotes Isaiah 35, our Advent passage. And he writes back and he says, it says, so he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear and the dead are raised and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And what he's doing is he's pointing to the passage in Isaiah 35 And he says, think about what you're expecting of me and think about what you've been promised. These are two different things. What you're expecting the king to look like and what the king actually is are two different things. And I don't know where you got these expectations, but then he throws in this dig, sort of like this, a bit of a rebuke. And he says, and blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. In other words, um, blessed is anyone Blessed are all who can accept me for who I am, not who you want me to be. Because I am who I am. And just because you want me to be like you or to be a certain way doesn't mean I'm going to be that. Jesus is who Jesus is. Um, so when I was, a subject change just for a second. When I, was, uh, when I was young, here you go, ready? Okay. I'm that one. Here, let me. Let me label these. There you go. There's me. There's Rob over here. Here's my brother, Scott. Scott does not want you to know that his first name is actually Donald. Um, I owe him this, and you'll see why in a second. Um, so this is me in my Christmas sweater. I'm a Christmas guy, okay? My wife will tell you. In the summertime, if my iPod is shuffling and it plays a Christmas song, I'm going to let it roll. And my wife is going to quickly turn it. I'm going to try to block her from the stereo because I love Christmas music. Um, I, I put on Christmas music on Halloween night at midnight. Clock strikes midnight. Christmas music goes on. Okay? Pull out the Vince Guardi trio, the Charlie Brown soundtrack, and I put it on the record player and I hit play and I just wish I had eggnog. And that's what I do. Um, so, 
This particular year, I remember specifically, it was interesting, it was a special year for me. It was the, it was the, it was the first and only year where I got spanked on Christmas Day, okay? <laughs> this was 1986. They spanked. That's what they did. Now, listen, um, here's what happened. What had happened was my brother, Scott, Donald Scott Phillips, he, long before Christmas, brought down a package before we even had a tree. It's this giant package. And he puts it where the tree would be eventually. And it's wrapped up and it's huge. It's like probably, I mean, I was six or seven. So for me, it was like this high. But really, it was probably like this. Who knows? Um, but it was huge. And he goes, Tommy, this is your present. And I got it for you. And you're going to love it. And we're like six weeks out from Christmas. Okay? And so my mind gets to wander for six awful weeks and as it wanders, I'm coming up with all kinds of ideas about what it could be. Maybe it's just full of pogs. Like maybe, you know what I mean? Like who knows? Um, inside joke for the old people. Um, now, like I didn't know what it was going to be. And so Christmas Day finally comes and I, I save it for last. I'm like, okay, here we go. And I start opening it. And I pull the top off and there's another box inside wrapped up. I'm like, ah, another present. Pull it out. I unwrap that one. There's another one. I pulled that one out. And it works all the way down. There's like 15 boxes. until There's a little box like this big where my brother's about to ask me to marry him or something. <laughs> and I, I open it up. And there's like a, there's a bouncy ball. <laughs> and my brother jumps in my face and puts his finger like this in my face and goes, <laughs> like that. And so I started crying. And I did what you do where I grabbed the most firm box and I hit him in the face with it. And that began the great Christmas of 1986, where I got spanked while my brother laughed in the living room. So here's what happened. My anticipation of this thing, I came up with all those ideas. And here's the thing, like, I'm not against bouncy balls. I was six or seven, like, six-year-olds love bouncy balls. It was this whole other thing where my anticipation had built up to a picture in my head where it caused me to both despise the gift and the giver. The giver. I despise the giver at, at what he did that day. And I've never told that story, but I have told my wife it many times. And she's like, here we go again. And it's talking about the story. Um, but, like, so this is what happens. We have this idea that this thing is coming. And in our minds, we build up this huge idea of what it is going to be. This is exactly what happened with the Israelites, with the Jewish people, with God's people, and with the Messiah King. And here's what I mean. Um, there were these Pharisees, okay? There was really a bunch of sects of Judaism. We don't, we don't talk about that enough. Um, there was Pharisees and Sadducees and, and Zealots and Essenes. And the Pharisees cared about purity. Their cause, what they were after, was purity. That Jesus, um, that, that the people should obey the Torah, the law, and external purity. Everyone should look holy and perfect. No sin should be seen among the people. But Jesus wasn't pure according to sort of their Torah ways. And he regularly was flouting purity laws and doing what he wanted. Um, and Jesus would not join their cause. And so they were mad at Jesus because the king obviously would obey the Torah, right? Now, uh, there's another group called the Sadducees. The Sadducees, what they cared about the most was the temple. That's all they cared about was the temple and the things that happened in the temple. And they were like sort of the real conservatives who believed that nothing was more important than like old time temple worship. But Jesus would not join their cause. Um, uh, Jesus, Jesus actually insinuated that it would be good if this whole thing was knocked down and destroyed. That its time was coming to an end. And this made them very mad. And there's another group called the Zealots. And the Zealots, 
the zealots' cause was revolution. They wanted to overthrow Rome. They wanted to gather up their swords and their shields. And they wanted to like, you know, 1776, America, like throw the empire out of here and we're going to start our thing. But Jesus wouldn't join their cause. And in fact, he taught this extreme nonviolence. Like he died showing them how much God loves them rather than attack and kill, even though he had the command of angel armies, right? And then there's this other group of of Jews called the Essenes. And the Essenes thought all of society was wrong and evil. And their whole idea was, their cause was, okay, we're going to separate. We're going to be holy people out in the desert. We're going to move out of the middle of nowhere. We're going to build our lives here. And we are going to be separatists. And we're going to start our own sort of people. And we're going to spend our days teaching each other about God and spending time with God and in prayer and solitude, um, just as God's holy nation apart from the rest of the nations of the world. But Jesus wouldn't join their cause. And Jesus ended up spending more time with sinners and drunkards and prostitutes than any of them, outcasts, total outcasts, more than any of them could handle. Jesus didn't care about their causes. That was never what this was about. Everything that these people wanted this gift to be Jesus was not that. He refused to be what people wanted him to be. Jesus' purity, for the, for the Pharisees, Jesus' purity was not on the outside. It was on the inside. It was this purity of heart, which Kierkegaard call, uh, says is, it's to will one thing, a single thing. And all Jesus cared about was the kingdom of God being planted. That's all Jesus cared about. He was not concerned with their earthly governments. He was not concerned with their earthly powers or building up any earthly kingdom. He cared about the kingdom of God, and that's all he cared about. Um, and then there was, you remember the, the, the Sadducees cared about the temple, but Jesus did not care about the building of the temple. Jesus cared about the people in the temple. He cared about them being made whole again and being reconciled and knowing that they were loved and welcomed into the presence of God. Jesus did not care about the building. He cared about the people. And then there's, the, again, the zealots who, who, who wanted this violent revolution to kill their enemies. And Jesus did not care about wiping out their enemies. In fact, Jesus gathered their enemies together and healed them and healed their children and, and reconciled them to, to, the, to their, the people that they were oppressing. Jesus wanted to eradicate their enemies, yes, but the way he wanted to do it was not by killing them, but by making them your brothers and sisters. That's how Jesus eradicates their enemies, by making their enemies their family. And so everything that they were after, Jesus would not take part in. And for the the Essenes who gathered in the desert, sure, once in a while, Jesus did go out and spend time alone in solitude with God. But the only reason he did this was so that he could come back into society and pour himself out for the people. Jesus um, does not go along with earthly cause. And everyone with an earthly cause is disappointed with the presents that they actually received on Christmas. He's not a king born in a palace. He's a, he's a human born in a manger. Um, he is, um, he, he's, he's poor, and he's born to a poor family um, in every way that, that we did not want him to show up. And, and everyone with an earthly cause is always disappointed with Jesus, with what they received, when they try to get Jesus to join what they were after. Even today, Republicans and Democrats want Jesus to join their cause, but he's not interested. Even today, conservatives and progressive Christians have their own causes, and we all pretend that Jesus is on our team. Jesus has one mind, and he's concerned with the kingdom of God being brought here to replace every kingdom in this world. That is what Jesus has always been consumed with. Jesus will not serve anyone's cause or agenda or movement. He has plans of his own. And when Jesus finally becomes the king in our own lives, we we are always surprised by what that gift does not include. It does not include the destruction of your enemies. 
In fact, just the opposite. They are brought to the table and you are forced to face them and offer the communion to them and offer to love them and pour yourself out for them and to reconcile. Uh, It does not include um, making you rich and famous. God is not concerned with your wealth. He's not concerned with your power or your name being made great. These are earthly things and kingdoms that we have invented and for some reason think are important and they, and they absolutely are not. He's not here to make you powerful in any earthly way. And Jesus says, blessed is the one who can submit to Jesus as Jesus is. Blessed is the one who can understand God as he has been revealed through Jesus. That is all we are given. Not only receiving God for whom God is, receiving Jesus for whom God is, but receiving the image of God for what it is, what we have been put here for. Um, For those of you who are here and you are waiting for things to change, however that looks, either change for the good or or you're going through something really good that you know is going to end and, and you're waiting for anything at all, those of you who are waiting, I want you to use this time of waiting to prepare to receive the gift and understanding making every opportunity to understand that like what God is doing probably doesn't fit within your preset parameters of what you think God should do. God will do what God is going to do. And the God revealed through Jesus wants you to look at Jesus and understand that that is, that is what we see. Very few people today would ever pick Jesus as their leader. He is not some mighty strong man, wealthy and powerful, with strong words. He was a humble carpenter um, who instead of, instead of riling up and conquering, allowed himself to be poured out and broken while speaking love of the people who were breaking him open and pouring him out. This is what we are given. And this is, this is not what we want in any of our represent, representatives in the world today, but this is what we have. And so as we move through Advent for the next three days towards the birth and the entry of God in the flesh into this world, we must sit and ponder what it is that we have been given. How is it that this frail child could somehow be our king and be the one we are called to follow and to emulate and to reject all other kings in favor of this one? How is it that a king like this could bring peace to the world? How is it? That is what Advent is about. The pondering and the waiting and the preparing ourselves and and anticipating what God will reveal to us. And so I hope for the next three days you can spend some time in pondering. Tell the story of Jesus to your children, to each other, to your families, to your parents. Tell the story of Jesus and emphasize its lowliness, emphasize its simplicity, emphasize all of the ways that this story is great in all of the ways that that we we do not want our stories to be great. Because what we are given is something totally different that doesn't fit the structures that we want. We are given Jesus in the form of a baby lying in a manger. And so as we we spend a a few minutes in prayer, I'm going to have something playing for you now, which is uh, some sort of some liturgy to ponder as we prepare our hearts to light our candles and sing two last songs to prepare us for the next three days of Advent. Um, Why don't we ponder all of this? Okay, so let's pray, shall we? Father, thank you for, uh, for all of this. Thank you for the waiting. Thank you for um, revealing yourself to us in the most unexpected ways and challenging our very ideas of power and leadership and might and earthly kingdoms, challenging all of that. 
Help us to see you for who you are. Help us not to fashion you in our image. Help us to accept what we are offered. That is Jesus Christ of Nazareth, um, the one who, 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 who loved the downtrodden, who poured himself out for the many and forgave people's sins, the one who, who was broken and poured out for us in this incredible display of, of love and faithfulness to God, this display of mercy while loving those who were doing uh, so much, um, inflicting so much suffering upon him. Thank you for his resurrection and for his ascension to the, to the, to the cosmic throne. I pray that we would once again learn to make Jesus our king above, above all others. Thank you, Father. In your name, amen. So but as, we, uh, as we prepare ourselves, uh, make sure you have your candles ready. We got a couple songs to sing. So spend some time in pondering Christ with us.